All right, if you're new to Element, welcome. There are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. On all of these communion tables around the room, we have sermon notes. They look like this. And on the front side, you get the verses we're going to go through. Underneath that, you can write down some questions if you have them during the message. You can also send those to us at questions at ourelement.org. You're going to get a short recap of what we'll talk about today. And on the back side, you get a place to write down some notes if you are so inclined. We do have every week and I understand and please never feel guilty if you write it all up and then you just leave it in the garbage or something because at one, some point you'd have like a thousand of these Bible and it'd just be really awkward and weird. But it's, I think it's good sometimes when you write notes because it helps reinforce your learning. Now if you have a smart device you can download an app. It is called Uversion. Uh, once you download it it just says Bible. You click on more and then events in Uversion. We will come up by GPS in your smart device and you will get sermon notes, verses, questions, announcements. All that goes with today's message. You're getting ready. I can see it. Uh, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors. Why don't you stay with me for the rest of God's word. This is Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 and it says this. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray. Father, this morning we ask that you would teach us how to be a people who understand our grace and salvation, that we would come to the place of living out our lives in response to that, that as we inhale the grace that we've received, we would exhale that in our lives, and we would understand that there are things that you have placed before us, these good works that you have set before for us that we would walk into them with you in the midst of your grace and goodness. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so we are doing this series, the New Testament book of Ephesians. We are in chapter 2. If you have a Bible, you can open to Ephesians chapter 2. If you're using one of the Bibles at Element, it's on page 634. And today we're going to walk through one of the most profound things in the entire scriptures, being saved by grace through faith, and then going out to be God's workmanship in the world around us. And this is a lot, and this is if you were here last week, I briefly walk through the verses we're going to look at today, but we're going to spend a lot of time now just looking at verses 8 through 10 of chapter 2. This is going to be some review for some of you, but I always think a review of grace and faith and God's calling in our lives is a really good review. And so last week, we looked at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, and it shows us what we are saved from. We are saved from ourselves, our trespasses, our sins, Satan, the world, all these things that constantly draws away from God's call in our life. All these things we so readily jump into. Then Ephesians 2, 4 through 7, what we looked at is what we're saved through. We are saved through God's mercy and God's kindness, that God has come to rescue and save us. We get to go from spiritual death to life. We've gone from bondage and slavery where all the things in our lives that we desire, where they had consumed us like Lay's chips. No one can eat just one. That's our sin. No one can just do it. We just want to keep going and keep going. We lead that to go to a place of freedom. And in that freedom, we can live and love and honor God. And these desires that God gives us, they can be used by God and us for good in the world, and they don't have to consume us. And then we briefly looked at chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, which essentially tells us how to get from here where we are now to there, meaning how we actually become these new creations in Christ, how we actually move from death to life, from slavery to freedom. And we're going to talk about more in depth these verses today, because Paul says there's three parts to this. And that is grace leads to faith leads to works. And I got to be careful with that word works because it really means a new lifestyle that's centered in Christ. 
Grace leads to faith, leads to works. And the order is critical because grace is where it starts. Grace is kind of like the, the starting line. And what is grace? Well, grace is favor that is given to someone who deserves the exact opposite. One writer said that true grace, when it is offered, is, it is threatening to us because we have to recognize that we actually need it. And recognizing that you need it many times becomes really hard. We gotta be honest with ourselves about that. I think the quote was this. I didn't write it down exactly, but this doesn't butcher it too bad. Uh, Grace is threatening when it's offered and transforming when it's received. And I think that's really, really good for us to understand. So this morning, I'm gonna give you four points. Two of them are shorter, two of them are longer, but here we go. Point number one is this. The first, this cause of salvation is grace. The cause of it is grace. If you want to read along with me, this is it. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Here is something that should blow your mind. The word this in the text right there, and this is not your own doing. In the original text, that word refers to both faith and grace. Faith and grace, the whole salvation process, the faith to be saved, the grace in the midst of it, not our own doing, something God does. Point number one, told you it was short. Point number two, much longer. Here we go. The means of salvation is faith. So the cause of it is grace, but the means is faith. Ephesians 2, 8 again, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Grace leads to faith. And faith is how God's salvation then comes to us. What does it mean to have faith? Well, faith is not just some religious feeling or virtue. It is trusting in what Christ has done. This word faith literally means trust. We trust what God has done in the person of Christ to save us. God has declared Jesus is Lord. He has completely satisfied the curse of all of our sin and all of our rebellion. And so last, like just like we talked about last week, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, kind of like a chair. Everybody in this room is sitting down. That's great. So you're sitting down in a chair. So let's say a chair represents that Jesus died for you. That is true whether you believe it or not. It is simply true. But faith is when we find ourselves sitting down in that chair. Sometimes people can't remember, when did I sit down? But guess what? If you're sitting, you're good. You're good. You're sitting down. If you're sitting at some point, you sat down. It kind of sounds redundant, but it's just true. You know you made it by the fact you're sitting down. And right now, at this moment, we are a people who constantly struggle in this resting, in this grace, in this faith that God brings. Because sometimes we want to do things on our own. We feel like we want to stand up and start to figure things out. This is why grace leading to faith is so threatening, because it is not your power that makes it possible. It is not your doing. You don't get to be the one who is in control of your life. It is what God calls us into now by trusting who he is. And that is why it's so important. The first seven verses of chapter two keep reminding us what grace has done for us. We have been dead in our trespasses and sins, and now we are alive together with Christ. We are children of disobedience. We are now raised up with Christ. We were children of wrath. Now we are seated with Christ. We were children of wrath. Now we are recipients of mercy. We were children of wrath, and now we 
we receive God's great love. We were children of wrath, but now we receive grace. Children of wrath, recipients of God's kindness. Uh, John Bunyan, years ago, wrote this book called The Pilgrim's Progress, another book called The Holy War, wrote an autobiography. And this is what he says in his autobiography. With the eyes of my soul, I saw Jesus Christ at God's right hand. There, I say, was my righteousness, so that wherever I was or whatever I was doing, God could not say of me, he lacks my righteousness, for that was just in front of him. Meaning, when God looks at you, he sees you through what Christ has done. You are, like we talked last week, seated with him. And the beauty of that is when you want to get down on yourself for being, oh, look what I did. I can't believe this happened. Guess what? God still sees you through what Christ did. That means you can get up and walk with him because he loves you. And he is still calling you to, to himself to walk with him. Being saved means we believe that God has said these things. He has spoken these things. All that he has done and said in Jesus. And Jesus is Lord. And we trust that. Grace leads to faith. Grace, then faith, not faith, then grace. Uh, Tim Keller liked to used to say that grace is the kiss to a soul in death sleep. Now, I, let me try and explain that because I think this is a pretty cool metaphor. I don't know if you have ever tried to kiss someone who was asleep. I mean, not in a creepy way, like you broke into some place and it's like, hey, they're sleeping. Mwah. You know, that's how you go to jail. No, but, but. <laughs> But sometimes it sounds very romantic. Um, I have been asleep and my wife has kissed me while I have been sleeping. And I freak out because I like sci-fi and I think like an alien is trying to eat my face or something. <laughs> but, but if you're not a weirdo, right, it, it can seem kind of like love. Like she kisses our animals. Like she'll get this dog and our cats and sometimes they're like, what is happening right now? And she's like, because I don't like her to do that to me. Uh, and, and they're like, oh, yeah, hold on. How about... Um, this is not going well. Uh, <laughs> how about Sleeping Beauty? Okay, Sleeping Beauty. You got this story. Grace kisses, Sleeping Beauty comes back alive. That's how Keller sees that relationship between grace and faith. We are in a death sleep. We, we cannot bring ourselves to consciousness. And Jesus comes as that prince and he kisses us and we wake up. And then that death sleep is then broken. Grace awakens the faith. That's what grace is doing. And so what is faith? Faith is really kind of that awakening to that consciousness of what God is doing, of who has just kissed us. There is this parable called the prodigal son in Luke 15. And what this kid does, he goes to his dad and he says, hey, give me my inheritance. And in that day and age, that's like saying, I wish you were dead. But his father does this. And the kid takes this money, runs off to a foreign land, breaks relationship with his dad, with his family, with his village, with his community. And then he gets a new community who loves him while he has money, but when the money's all gone, everybody goes away. And so he's destitute. He is alone in this place. He is then taking care of pigs and wants to eat the slop that they're giving to the pigs. And in the back of his mind, he then starts to think about his father and how his father takes care of his own hired workers. And it is the father's love that starts to change this kid's heart that makes him want to go home. And so the kid starts to think, I'm going to go back. And he rehearses this speech in his head. It's a terrible speech, but he rehearses the speech in his head. I'm going to tell my dad this. And this is what Jesus says. It says, the father saw the son far off and he ran and kissed him. Before there was a word that came out of this kid's mouth, the father kissed him. And when Jesus says this to these people, that is a bold way to think about the father. The father has come. He plants a kiss on us before we have ever spoken any words of why. 
And this is why we understand that this understanding of salvation is so powerful because we are saved by a work that God himself does. That's the relationship between grace and faith. It's not us. It's not our apology. It's not our sorrow that saves us. It is grace that leads to faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast. There is a resting and trusting in the grace of God that changes us, and it will change our present realities and how we begin to live. We can be real and honest in our lives. Last week, Paul talked about boasting. We don't have to boast anymore. We don't have to do any of that because boasting is some way of saying God noticed me and saved me because either I was so broken he couldn't help but have pity on me or I was so good he had to bring me into his confidence because I was so wonderful. No, we have nothing to boast in. How freeing is it to say and threatening to say, Jesus saved me. I wouldn't have saved me. I wouldn't save half of you, right? But he saved me. And when he did, he brought me to life. Isn't that amazing? And that's why I said one of the earlier weeks, if someone says, are, are you a Christian? You don't have to hedge your bets and be like, well, yeah, I'm a Christian. You go, be like, yeah, and isn't it amazing? God saved this knucklehead, this person. That's amazing. And then he won't know what in the world to ask you next because you're so excited about it. Just the grace you've been saved by. It really is pretty cool. Now, I read of three major changes in our lives I thought went really well in this message when we understand being saved by grace and faith and not no longer boasting. So I want to give you those because this really goes with this. First off, we will start to move from anger to contentment. If and when we know everything in our life is a gift from God, Him being gracious to us, we realize everything we have is so much more than we deserve. It is so much more. And that means no matter how life goes, we can say, God, you know what's best. I don't even deserve as much as I have, so I'm going to live in thankfulness. And so we can live in a way that is content. You don't always feel the need to have to one-up somebody. You don't feel the need to live in FOMO. Oh, I didn't get invited to that thing. Well, it doesn't matter because God loves you. You are His child. Being invited to that thing or being part of that doesn't give you your worth or your identity. It doesn't. We can be content. You're not always looking around. You don't have to be jealous of anything else. We're not looking for our belonging and all of these things. Instead, we are finding someone to rest in. And we are resting in that relationship. We're not trying to earn salvation. We don't need to earn the sense of confidence by what we do because God has laid a righteousness upon us. We can be content. Some people really in their lives, they get really angry when it doesn't go well. Like they have an idea of how circumstances are supposed to line up, how it's supposed to work. And then when it doesn't happen, they get mad at life. They get mad at themselves. They get mad at other people or even God himself. And there ends up being this undercurrent of anger, not contentment. I don't know if you've met people like that. If you haven't, it's probably you. You're welcome. Uh, but, they're, but they're always grumpy. They're always complaining about how life is never fair. I deserve more because I've worked so hard, or I deserve more because of what has happened to me. But a life found in Christ, saved by grace through faith, not our own doing, it leads to contentment, contentment. And if you find yourself constantly chafing at all of your life's circumstances, grumpy more than you're living in joy, well, first off, you're probably spending too much time on social media, number one. But you may need to understand that your boast in your life is only in God's great salvation of you. It's not in yourself. Why? For you have been saved by grace through faith. That's not your doing. That's a gift of God, not as a result of works so no one can boast. 
Second thing, you can start to move from disdain to acceptance. Now, if you know me and have heard me speak any length of time, you know I like it when people work hard. I had a role model in my mom that worked a job to keep food on the table when we're growing up. Uh, She even started her own business as a landscaper, and she knows lots of things about plants, uh, but most of her time she spent mowing lawns. And she gave me a job, or more correctly, she told me and gave me a job. And I hated it. When I was in high school, I hated it. I wanted to hang out with my friends and instead I'm out mowing lawns with her. But I'll tell you this, today, looking back, I wouldn't have changed that for almost anything. There are a lot of people today and and you have kids and kids are like, well, I don't want to do this and I don't want to do that. Sometimes it's a good thing to make them do some things they don't want to do. I don't want to get a job or I don't want to be involved in extracurricular activities. Well, I don't want to go to church. Well, guess what? Sometimes the best thing is to, it's important to you to make them do that. Now, I say that and we're all, yeah, that's right. That's a really good thing. And I think it is a good thing. But sometimes this idea of working hard, well, I become proud of that fact in the wrong way. Maybe you're a hard worker. And I think that's amazing if you are. But there are many people just like me who look at the fact of being a hard worker and it becomes our identity. It becomes something that we then begin to boast in. It's the thing that gives us our confidence. I am a hard worker. And again, I think it's great. I wish everybody was a hard worker. But if that's the thing that earns you your confidence before God, you have to start to despise anybody else who is not a hard worker. You will talk to your friends about those lazy people. You will not be sympathetic towards them. You know how I know that? Because I do that. I have sat around at a friend's house and we're we're talking over over a barbecue pit and I just start, these people, and I'm like, Wow. Wow. That's, and I'm a horrible person. All right. I really am. I am. When we boast in what we do and not what Christ has done, we will naturally start looking down on other people. And it could be different cultures. It could be different political persuasions, liberals, conservatives. It could be all of those things. It could be different religions. Uh, I know someone who's really in touch with their feelings and they are uh, look down on anybody who's not in touch with their feelings. Uh, I know people who go to therapy and they look down on people who don't go to therapy, which I'm like, you need to go to therapy for, figure that out, you know. <laughs> but it's just reality. Do you guys know who Chris Christie is? Former governor of New Jersey, you know, ran for president. He was in Trump's cabinet, you know, bowed out a little bit ago. So there is this op-ed article that was written about Chris Christie during his presidential campaign. And it makes issue with Chris Christie's weight. And if you don't know this, Chris Christie is pretty overweight. So this op-ed piece, the reporter said this, Governor Christie, you're always talking about fiscal discipline. That's monetary discipline. How about trying some physical discipline? Eat a salad. Ooh, right? Now, whoever that op-ed person writer was, we can all be reasonably sure they were not overweight. Why? Because they wouldn't be able to write that and say that and still be able to face their colleagues if they were. What makes it possible in our lives to be this disdainful? Well, you come to a place where you can't simply be happy that you work hard or you kept your weight down, that you have to be proud of the fact that you kept your weight down. And you would say, oh, I work really hard and look at that fat slob. What is that? It's no grace. You don't understand the gospel that, or we're not living in it, that we're saved by grace. Usually people try to hide their disdain because we all want to be thought of as well by others, right? And it's funny because we all disdain disdainful people which puts us all in the same boat. We are all self-centered. We all want to be regarded well by others. 
Uh, it's, it's why parents will let their kids go crazy in a store because they think that's better than disciplining them in front of other people. I, I was in a store last week and this uh, lady had her son in her arms and he had this thing that she was going to buy him. And then he melted down and went crazy. And she's like, I told you if you do this. And she put it away and he's just screaming as they walk out of the store. And I'm like, <laughs> but you know what I just did? I became disdainful of anybody who wouldn't do that. See how easy it is to begin to fall into that? If we walk around despising other people, even inwardly, could be people, again, of different political persuasions, other classes, nationalities, religions, then we're really not walking and understanding the gospel fully. Why? Because we have been saved by grace through faith. And this not our own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of our works, so that no one can boast. And that makes it interesting. Because we got to do some very hard soul searching to understand that we are saved by grace. And if we understand that, we would begin to love other people in grace. Not that you reinforce all their crazy ideas. Not that you have to say, well, everything you want to do is okay. No, because that's a form of people pleasing. But loving others in a way that shows the gospel and what the gospel really is. The third thing is that we would start to move from bitterness to forgiveness. This is amazing because when we say this a lot at Element, I guess, but if you know you're saved by God's grace through faith and not your works, you can learn how to begin to forgive. Why? Because the only way we can be in a place where we're bitter and keep a grudge and stay angry at someone is if it comes from a place where we would say, oh, I would never do that. Oh, I could never have done that. And it goes back to the idea of feeling superior than other people. But if you understand your own life and that given the exact same circumstances that that person was in and maybe I could really do that thing, then it's hard to keep a grudge. There are a lot of people today who live these bitter lies because they are proud that they are not as messed up as everyone else, just proving how messed up they actually are. I had an issue where a friend of mine was hurt by somebody else and they asked if they talked to that person they were hurt by. And they said, why would I do that? <laughs> and I said, because it gives you the opportunity for reconciliation. Well, I don't want to reconcile. <coughs> I'm going to start coughing now because I think it's funny, you know. <laughs> <clears throat> and, and I don't want to reconcile, and I said, well, it gives you a chance to talk through and work through the different issues that are actually there. Too many people today live their lives in bitterness. But if you know that you have been saved by grace through faith, and that not your own doing, it is the work of God, not as a result of your works, so no one can boast, guess what? You can learn to forgive. When we realize that we are saved by grace, we can accept and be content and don't, we don't have to wrestle with hurt every day of our lives because our worth and our acceptance and our salvation is in Jesus alone. Uh, one thing I read was this. It said, a sinner saved by grace can relax. And I like that because I need to learn how to relax because I don't relax that often. And do you see how this all works together when we understand what the gospel truly results to in, in our lives, this grace that we have received? And that's, now that's not the end of that because it moves into the next part. You know, we take the faith we have, always a gift of grace, and we then begin to exercise it. Again, you have inhaled grace. What do you then begin to exhale? Grace, yes, it starts to come back out. So third thing is the effect of salvation becomes good works. Now, you got to start with the first part, right? We're not saved by our good works, but Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, that which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So salvation is by faith. It produces, though, these works in our lives. Someone, uh, sometimes people really have trouble with this. They say, if I'm saved by grace through faith, it doesn't matter what I do. But the Bible tells us if we are actually saved, the result is we start to walk with God. 
there's a different lifestyle that begins to happen. It's, that doesn't mean you never fail and fall. It doesn't mean you don't trust in Christ and the next day you're like perfect Christian 100%. No, it means that God does a work in us. And that work sometimes is, is slow. Sometimes it's fast, but there is a work that God does. J.D. Greer said it like this. We are not saved by good works. Our faith is validated by good works. We're saved by faith. The effect is good works. And sometimes when people hear the word validated, they start to think, oh no, so I got to have these good works to validate. No, no. It is simply this life that we begin to live. How would things change if we understood we are saved by grace through faith and we started to trust God in every aspect of our life? Wouldn't that begin to change how we interact with other people? How we begin to live and walk in the world? Of course it would. There are a lot of people today who don't understand that they've been saved by grace through faith and they're trying to do all these good works to make God look at them and say, oh, I love you, you did a lot of good things. All you're doing is hanging fruit on a dead tree. That's all you're doing. Fruit doesn't give life to the tree. A tree gives life to the fruit. And so the first thing that has to happen is we have to be made alive. And that is salvation. And then God gives us a new nature to want to do things for him and walk with him. Grace leads to faith. Faith leads to these quote unquote good works. And I got to be honest with you. There are a lot of people who walk around today who question this because maybe you've been a Christian five, 10 years, months, days, minutes, seconds, and all of a sudden it's like, my life doesn't look like what I think it's supposed to look like. Well, first off, ask the question, do you really believe that you are saved by grace through faith? And if you do, are you resting in that? Are you walking with God in those areas? I think sometimes people who say they have faith are kidding themselves because they don't really want to rest in the grace that God has brought into our lives. Because that is where our faith starts, is in God's grace over us. How do we know we have faith? For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Two things result from grace and faith. First, you become God's workmanship. And as a result of that, we begin to walk in these quote-unquote good works. So we need the understanding of the pro progression of this. And we've talked about this before if you've been around Element, but this is the understanding that our being always comes before our doing. Our being comes before our doing. If you're going to do good works, we have to be God's workmanship first. God has to do something in us, give us a new nature. Now, there's a lot of people today who go to high school or college and they take philosophy classes. And there's this thing in philosophy called existentialism, the meaning of existence. You might have taken philosophy and you're like, I hated philosophy. Give me like two minutes, all right, and, and you'll get through this and then, then be okay. Um, existentialism really teaches the exact opposite of what Christianity teaches. And I'm going to totally oversimplify this. And if you are a philosophy major, you've got to forgive me right now. Uh, oversimplified, really, uh, it's John, John Paul Sartre says, existence precedes essence. And what that means is what I do determines what I am or who am. I can be anything I want to be. It says no one has an essential nature, period. You can be anything you want to be, and nothing really means anything. Now, as I was reading about this, one person said, like all false philosophies, there is a part of the truth there which has become the whole truth. And the part of the truth is what Christianity believes in one part, is that what we do kind of affects our lives. But what Christianity says is what you are has to be honored first. What you do does not determine who you are. Your past does not have to say this is who you will be forever because you are called God's workmanship. God comes in and God changes you. And now what you do comes out of that. 
And this is how we have to understand our lives, what God has done. And in our world, you have two disparate views. You have either you're an accident and you have no design at all. Or on the other side, God had an idea when he made you because he made you to be his workmanship. And he reveals that to you as you live and walk with him. See, when we honor him, we find our true self. That's how it happens. And a lot of people today are doing all these things to find their true selves. That will only be found when you understand that you are saved by grace through faith and that not your own doing. It is the work of God, so you don't get to boast about it. And an extreme as existentialism, if somebody wants to kill you, you have no right to even tell them not to because they're being true to themselves. There's no right or wrong. What does Paul say? We are his workmanship. That's where our lives have to rest. The word workmanship is this word called poema. And it's where we get our word poem from. How beautiful is that, right? That God has come and made us into his poem, his artistry to the world. Art is beautiful, it is valuable, but most importantly, art is an expression of the artist, of the maker. And imagine what that means. You're beautiful, you're valuable. You're an expression of the very inner being of the artist himself, God himself. And here's the tragedy. Everybody in this room, me included, everybody in this world, me included, says they're a masterpiece. They're a masterpiece, a work of art. But we have been defaced by our own choices, by how we live our lives. Now, there are some people in our world who are master craftsmen. And they can come in when someone goes into a, like an art gallery and deface the art, and they can go in and, and restore that art. But it takes time and labor and intensity. And yet that is what God is doing with us. Say by grace, through faith, God starts living in and through our lives, leading us, guiding us, taking everything we go through and begins to restore us to who we were meant to be, everything that comes into our lives. In Ephesians chapter five, Paul will say that he, Jesus, gives himself for us that he might cleanse us to present us without spot, wrinkle, holy, without blemish. When Jesus gives himself on the cross, he doesn't do it in a general way. Let me show you how much I love you by dying for you. No, he says, I'm gonna die to redeem you to restore you to be that poem, that masterpiece. I'm the artist, you're the art. And you may not look like much right now because of how you've been defaced, but I can see who I made you to be. That's what I see. And that's what I wanna bring about. And if we are truly believers in Jesus, it means that God is gonna change us. He is going to grow us. And as I said, it may be super slow, but it's happening, it's happening. God is the sculptor, we're the marble. Sometimes God comes at us with a hammer and a chisel. We're like, no, he's all kunk, 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 and starts making us into this beautiful masterpiece. And that means everything that has come into your life, God can and will use, change, remove, to make us into who he wants and intends us to be. And we don't need to be afraid about God's work in our lives because we are God's workmanship. How do we know? Being comes before doing. And we have been saved by grace through faith. And that is not our own doing. There are good works that I think God has placed in our lives. And you and only you can do certain things because God has planned for you to do those things with Him. And you don't have to be afraid of your environment. You don't have to be afraid of your chromosomes. Everything that's gone into your life so far, not only the good things, but God will even use those bad things and he will turn you into a unique masterpiece. One person said this, you don't have to, you don't have a whole lot to say about much, which I totally agree. That's my life right there in a sentence. Uh, you didn't choose your parents. You didn't choose your height. You didn't choose your gender. I know we try to say different today. Uh, you didn't choose your IQ. You didn't choose your ethnicity. We didn't choose that these things were given to us by the master craftsman. 
by the great artist. And so we put ourselves in the artist's hands and then we see the great freedom that is found in trusting him. And then we will walk into these good works. I was going to end the message right there, but I have one more short point, okay? Promise it's short. This is it. The promise in salvation is that what God started, God is going to finish. That's the point of being his workmanship. And it all goes back to the surety of the life that we live is in his power and his strength. Being a work of God means God is composing us into something that glorifies him. And he will continue to do that work in our lives. We may not see what the end of that work looks like, but he certainly does. And he will bring it to completion and it'll be perfect and beautiful. We may fail at times, we may fall at times, but God in his sovereignty has already laid out encounters in our lives that will grow us. And he has promised us the power to accomplish all those things. He will bring it to his ultimate end, which means every day you get out of bed, you get to be like, God, I'm not really excited about getting up, but I'm excited about what you're going to do in my life today. Let me see this work you're going to do. And then maybe that night you go to bed, God, I didn't enjoy today, uh, but tomorrow I want to be really excited about what you're doing because God is doing things. And we get to have a joy and an excitement about that every single day. I can tell you all the things that people have said to me over the course of years of Element being a church. I want to be a better friend. I want to be a better husband or wife. I want to be a better single. I want to date better. I want to be a better father, a better mother. I want to be more generous. I want to pray more consistently. I want to stop listening to country music. <laughs> Actually, no one has ever once said that to me. I don't know why. Okay. Here's, here's the deal. When we fail and, and we fall, we seem to step back into these feelings of I, I'm weak, I'm useless, I'm terrible. Do you know those feelings don't come from God? They come from you. They come from you. They do not come from him. When you put the whole of chapter two together, you see that we are people who've been made alive, that we still live in this body of death. This is the already and not yet. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. But it means if we really understand it, we are more wicked and depraved than we ever realized. And yet on the other side, we are more loved and accepted and alive in Christ than we can ever dream or hope. How do we cope with real failure in our lives? We cope with it in Christ. Our failures were taken care of in Him. Our sinful body has been killed. Our spirit is now alive in Jesus. And the way that we begin to live as God wants us to is not to buckle down and try harder. That is not how you do it. It is to believe that God has remade us in Christ. And being remade, God then walks with us into this world and He sets things in front of us that we would walk with Him and there would be these good works that start to come out of our lives. We have a righteousness that has been bestowed on us, a power that has been given to us because God loves us. By grace, you have been saved through faith. And that is not your own doing. It's the gift of God so no one can boast. For we are His workmanship though. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You know, what, what is maybe God calling you to in your life right now? You know, where are the places that he is saying, you know, we, we've been walking together for a bit. You know, here are the places that I think we should start to grow up. You know, here's the next thing I want to lead you into. But God, I don't want to do that. that. That's really, really hard. And God's like, I know it's hard. But you know what? I'm, I'm the great artist and I want to restore you to the masterpiece that I intended for you to be. And he starts to work with us through these things. And so we trust him in each of these places where he leads us. God leading us isn't always into like, you know, fields of like berries and, and trees and fruit. Sometimes it's through difficult spaces because in those difficult spaces is where we tend to grow the most. 
And so we trust him in his leading, in his guidance, in all the places that he takes us into. And we trust him as our great artist, as our savior, as our restorer, as our great God who loves us more than we can even fathom love looking like. And so we trust him in each of those places. Today, you know, we come to this place called communion. And we don't pass it throughout the room. It's something you have to get up and do as a response. And I would ask today as you come and take communion, and, you, and remember that Christ's body was broken for you by breaking that cracker, dipping it in the wine of the grape juice, remembering his blood is the blood that was shed for us to bring us to salvation, that we would understand that in this, this is like the starting line of what God has done to restore and redeem us. He has taken care of our sin, placed us back into relationship with God. This is the good news of the gospel. And then as a result of that, all of our lives now get to begin to change and grow into maturity so that we would walk through this world as his workmanship. And as you take communion today, I want you to remember that, that all that God has done to bring you to himself, this is not the end, this is the beginning. And so we remind ourselves of God's great love given for us in a moment like this and that we would then trust him to step into next, all the next parts of our lives. If you need prayer today, right across the way in the lounge, we'll have some people to pray with you. You can go during music. You can go after service. But if you would like somebody to, to pray with you, you know, maybe you thought that your whole life is about trying to make all the fruit on your own and hanging on your life of a dead tree, and there God will finally love you enough to bring you to life, instead of realizing that grace from God brings you to life. And then the things that we do naturally become a response to his great love given to us. And if you've been living your life in legalism, they would love to pray with you about that. If you have questions about what grace, you know, leading to faith, leading to what these works in our lives look like, they would love to pray with you about that as well. All these things we seem to get so confused upon. We are saved by grace through faith. That's not from ourselves. That's a gift from God. It leads us to a place of not boasting and a place of trusting. If you would like to give, we have offering boxes on the side wall. You can give online. Element does not pass an offering plate because we believe that our giving is response to God's great generosity of us. Just like the good works in our lives are a response to the great salvation that God has given, our giving is like that as well. It's always a response. Always. And so you can give on one of the side walls. You can give online. But I encourage you to take those sermon notes and maybe meet and talk with some people and talk about, you know, what maybe what you boast in or the, or the places where it's hard to live in contentment, you know, the places where it's hard to trust what God is doing in you at a moment because maybe you don't see the masterpiece that he's turned you into. And it brings a whole lot of confusion for you. But I think talking and walking through life with other people begins to help us to see all that God is doing. And we can trust him in all of our moments because he is good. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I thank you that we are a people who have been saved by grace through faith, and that is not our own doing. It seems that there are so many religions in this world, Lord, that tell us it is about our own doing. It's about our striving and getting things right and making sure that we honor you in all the right ways in order for you to give us life and freedom and, and hope. And yet, in the scriptures, you constantly bring us back to the place where we would see that we are saved by grace through faith. And it is not our own doing. It is your gift given to us. And I ask that as we see that, it would lead us into places of humbleness. Places where we would not just be confident in what, is, what you've done, but we'd be content to live in the great salvation that we received 
that we would have a loving understanding of the gospel. And that would in turn change how we love others around us. That we would move away from places of disdain or at least start to begin to recognize it. And that we would move to places of forgiveness because we understand our own great forgiveness that has come from you. So this morning, teach us what it means to be saved by this grace and then also sent out as your workmanship in the world so that you would be glorified and that you would be honored and that the gospel would go forward and that one day when we finally see what you are restoring us to be, we would once again fall down in amazement at your grace that has been given and the restoration that you seek to do in our lives. We thank you for your goodness, for that restoration. And we ask we to walk in your strength every day as you make those changes in us. And we ask this in your son's good name. Amen. So as we drop these curtains and go into this song, again, take a moment right now and ask God to reveal to you, I think I might have even said this last week, but I, I was on cold medicine, my brain's just gone. Uh, what are you boasting in, in your life? What, what, what is the confidence that you look towards? And then where is God calling you now to trust him? How do you understand your, your own life, moving back to the place of God's restoration of you as this masterpiece? Do you even have the guts to look at and think that God has created you to be the masterpiece? That is how he sees you now through Christ, and that is what he is turning us into. I think it's sometimes really hard to look at our own lives and our failures and to be like, really, this is what God is doing? He's doing this. I, I don't see this. Of course we don't. But God does. And so ask him right now in the for instance, this first song, and God, what am I boasting in? And instead of that, teach me to understand the masterpiece that you are making me into, that you see me as. Grace that leads to this faith that leads to this place that I want to walk with you in this world and trust the vision that God says he sees you through. Even as he moves and changes every day, because I think when we see that, it'll begin to help us to understand his grace that is given and who ultimately God will bring about to be in our own lives. Then come and take communion, sing some songs with us begin to live this life as you walk out these doors, understanding that you've been saved by grace through faith. And it's not your own doing. It's not by your works. It's the gift of God so that none of us would boast. But he has called us to now live with him, to exhale the grace that we received and live in these good works in the world with and for him.